0: Hello and welcome back to the Schooner Pod. I'm your host, Bobby Howard, and we are here to break down the Oklahoma Sooners 33-3 win over the Kent State Golden Flashes. And uh, joining me today, as always, we have Jameson Maxwell, Ty Lee, and uh, we're brought to you, as always, by DraftKings Sportsbook and Raycon. So we uh, shout out to our fine sponsors on our network, uh, TPPN. So anyways, let's get down to it. Obviously, a bit of a rough start. Uh, the, Sooners, the Sooners only, fa- uh, only at halftime, it was only seven to three. OU's only uh, score coming on the backs of a last-second mad scramble drive to score to take the lead. Um, and we're 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 gonna break down performances for sure. But it was kind of a tale of two halves. Jameson, what in the hell was wrong with OU in that
1: first half? I feel like almost everything was on the offensive side of the ball, because obviously that's what we want to talk about. Um, the defense did great. We'll talk about them later in the pod. But the offense just, I don't think there was a lot going right in that first half and even throughout the game. Something we mentioned last week, Dylan Gabriel is holding on to the ball for too long. It seems like his reads are a little delayed. We might have gave him the benefit of the doubt last week because, oh, it's his first football game in a while since um, he's played coming off injury. Um, But it's happening again. So I understand this is Kent State and UTEP, but we've got bigger opponents here coming up in the next couple weeks that we need to be doing better. Offensive line also just miserable. Interior, um, the guards and centers not to our standards. I thought the tackles played decent, but a lot of things where our run game was embarrassing because of a lot of missed blocks. And we couldn't get anything when we we're playing from behind on second and third down.
0: I'm thinking we need Juan Yamoris Morris back for sure. I, I feel you on that. Uh, O-line see,
1: that's a, ta- that's a tackle. Like, like Tyler Guyton and Anton Harrison, like they weren't the best, but they played pretty decently. Okay. On Saturday. Now, McCabe mature, like this is a guy that we were hyping up and we were hearing all these great reports coming out of practice in the spring and in the summer. And, now it just seems like he's not playing like that guy that we thought he was. Um, And then Andrew Rames got some, you know, he's got to do a lot better than what he's doing. It seems like he's missing a lot of blocks. Um, Chris Murray has been average, but in terms of interior defensive line playing against the opponents that we've had, I should be expecting a lot more dominance. And I didn't see much where I looked at the, You know, just a run or, you know, something to the middle of the field where I go, wow, the offensive line just dominated. I didn't say that once throughout the past two games.
0: Yeah. No, I I think that's a fair critique for sure. For sure. Ty, what did you see in that first half? What the hell was going on there?
2: Well, we we didn't establish the run. We couldn't establish the run. And that was something that we've talked about with this offense is a, a crucial thing. That old school style of establish the run as the first thing that you do and then you run until they open up the opportunity to throw and the stats say we threw pretty well uh we had some some big plays but really we we couldn't establish the run for a couple reasons like jameson mentioned and and you saw those effects as they roll on dylan gabriel i'm sure we're going to dive deeper into it really just my quick analysis on that and this is sort of a you know maybe an assumption by me but it seems like he does good when he doesn't have to make decisions when you put him in an RPO type situation even when he hands it off it just seems slow and i think that was contributing to the run because it seemed like we ran a little bit better when it was just boom and go and then the same thing when it came to passing i feel like and, and i'm not saying he's not a good decision maker i'm just it seemed like he was struggling with having to make decisions in this game because even though he threw well, his stats, I think, are much better than what it looked like. When I went back and looked at his stats, I was like, wow, okay, he, that looks a lot better than, than what I felt like when I was watching it. But even the pass plays, when we ran that hurry-up offense with the last two minutes in the in the first half that led to our, our opening touchdown of the game, he was excellent, and those were the type of passing plays where you get really one look, and he was passing to his first look on that designed or on a lot of those design quick pass plays. So it really seemed like the more decision-making that Dylan Gabriel had to make during the game or during the play, it seemed like he really struggled with that. And hopefully that's because he's still new and building chemistry and, and learning, you know, his receivers. Cause we saw a lot of different receivers. I'm sure we'll get into that as well, but a, a lot of different receivers out there.
0: Yeah, for sure. It, it definitely took some time for him to get rolling, but, and I'm with you. It, it looked off in that first half, uh, Jameson, uh, and, today's uh offensive court or like coordinator press conferences jeff levy actually kind of put the blame on himself he said uh he didn't dial up up enough passing plays uh and
1: that was one of the reasons why the offense struggled so much in the first half do you buy it i mean what is the coordinator gonna say my players sucked like obviously he's gonna put his name in like take the hit I'm it wasn't his fault there might have been some play calling that might have been a little too conservative and it seems like we we're like I said earlier we we're playing from behind a lot where we'd have a first down I don't know play and we'd run the ball very frequently I'd be curious to see what the stats were of like run versus pass on first down and our offensive linemen want to make a good block or notice a lot and what, um, the people I was sitting next to were talking about too is um, Kent State, safety, they would play too high safety, but as soon, almost every single down, those safeties would be coming up and coming up fast to defend the run. And even if the running backs weren't, you know, breaking the first tackle of those guys that were missed by the offensive linemen, the safety in the second level of the defense was waiting for them, too. It didn't really allow for too much breakaways other than the Marcus Major and Eric Gray runs. Uh, Mar- Marcus Major touched on the Eric Gray, like 40-plus yard run it's it's just tough. It seemed a little monotonous. So I'll give it to uh, Lebby on that. He did seem to find himself in a pattern a little bit much more, but our players got to play better. And it starts with the big guys. Yeah, for sure. Ty, your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a, when you look at the coordinators, one of the notes that I had, and this is something that I didn't go back and rewatch the entire game, but I, you know, watched it in person. I was Lucky enough, just by happenstance, uh, happened to sit right by Bobby and and his wife, my wife and I. That was did, a fun time. Uh, was which a fun was time. a fun time, yeah. Um, but I I got to sit up really high and and watch the game from that point of view. And from there, it really seemed like uh, our playbook wasn't uh, that ooh. extensive. It seemed like we had not a whole lot of uh of plays or not a whole lot of of variety. We ran um thirty six times past twenty eight, but it, it really seemed like out of those 36 runs and and 28 pass attempts, uh, it seemed like there was maybe 10 plays that were called the entire time. I know there was a lot more than that. So I, I definitely had some questions about our, the depth of our playbook. If we're talking about offensive coordinator things and, you know, you always make the argument it's Kent state. We won by 30 points. Uh, can't forget that. So we won by 30 points, held them to three. So it wasn't as bad as I think a lot of people think when you just look at the numbers, but, uh, are we holding stuff back from the playbook or have we really just not established a whole lot, or maybe we have a whole lot of plays established and and things just aren't clicking yet. I I feel like that was the story of the first half is, is it looked like we were doing a lot of things, right. And it's just, nothing was, was clicking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I think Ty, I I really want to, emphasize this was like, are we op- not opening our playbook up enough? If you like listen to our older podcast and something you talked a lot, Ty is having the run open up the pass for this offense and, you know, spreading out the wide receivers wide and then just jamming them over and over and over on the run to where it's going to, put Marvin Mims on an island and hopefully get single coverage and let him go make a play. The problem is if you're looking at a root cause analysis of this, I can't open up the pass. If the run isn't getting opened up and why isn't the run getting opened up? We have the talent. I think Marcus major showed a lot. And I want, I'm very curious to see what y'all think about is he have an argument now to be RB one over Eric gray. Are we just overreacting two games in? Um, Because that is a huge talking point in the Oklahoma community right now. But I think it's just it, the, our interior defensive line It just got to step up. Now, if you're talking about replacements, I mean, is McKay Mature going to get benched for like a guy like Savion Bird? We saw Savion Bird will play a little bit in, um, near the end of the game, and he looked good for my eyes whenever I noticed him get subbed in. Um, we see it all the time with Bill Biedembeau. Um, even whenever we think that we have our offensive line rotation, our best five guys at the beginning of the season, how often do we fall in love with these guys at the beginning of the season, then they disappoint us, and then Gobino eventually finds his five guys and we stick at it through the rest, the ha- second half of the season. I would not be surprised at all coming into this Nebraska game that a guy like Savion Bird comes in earlier than the fourth or even late third quarter, maybe even see more of him in the first couple of drives.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. It's a yearly thing. Um, the line always has, like you said, that one guy who we were big on, you know, in the uh, in the offseason, just never quite materialized as well. So I, I wouldn't be stunned to see it. I I wouldn't say that being bow has a short leash, but he, you know, has been known to mix it up a bit, uh, especially if it's not working, which it kind of isn't here. So um, I could definitely see that for Nebraska uh, coming up for sure. But um, one note I wanted to make on um, that first half before we moved on and started talking about the good things that happened. Um, the defense, you know, they, they held they held kids eight to three. At no point was the defense like I would call them like flat out bad. This was the lowest amount of points allowed by an Oklahoma defense against an FBS school since 2017. So th- this was a really good, really solid de- uh, defensive performance that we have not seen in Norman against, you know, an FBS team, a team with a pulse uh, in quite and a while. That team, so and
1: that team was Kansas. Let me just make a programming note on that as well.
0: Yeah. 2017, Kansas. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's before Kansas uh, learned how to just run all over Lincoln Riley, I guess. But I don't know. Um, so, yeah, th- this defense didn't play bad, but at the same time, they let Colin Schley, uh, throw for 131 yards, you know, 11 for 19 with an 88.7 QBR, which, you know, a decent outing for, uh, you know, a Kent State quarterback. So is it Jameson, d- d- For
1: d- hold on, a decent outing for a Kent State quarterback.
0: Kent State uh,
1: ha- has had a good line of quarterbacks pass. I mean, I think I feel like Colin Schley has at least a little bit of, you know, respect in terms of deep college football. Um, reputation because he's shown some things that he was decent. Um, we talked about Crum last year; they took him to the you know the champ, conference championship. Um, I think this Kent State team we have to give our, our credit. Like Kent State, they aren't the best team on defense. Um, they are very vulnerable, um, even though they shut us down in the first half and the fourth quarter. Um, but their passing attack is something that was definitely be to be made uh, as a positive point for them. You know, we saw it during the game. Dante Cephas, uh, their wide receiver, you could clearly see him as he was playing and catching those routes. That this guy was your not your ordinary um, non-power five wide receiver. He looked like a guy who's going to be getting drafted um, in the future. So, to be honest with you, we can talk about oh, we didn't really get any interceptions and all this stuff. We didn't. Um, we probably shouldn't have had him be so accurate but I was very, very happy with our secondary and our defense as a whole. Yeah. I mean, they definitely prevented, you know, really big plays and obviously kept them out of the end
0: zone. So that's some good stuff for sure. Uh, Ty, your thoughts on our defense against uh, Kent State's uh, offense, I suppose.
2: Yeah. Starting with, with Schley. And then a note that I wanted to make sort of earlier, it just didn't come up organically is I do want to give credit to Kent State. they, Although they lost by 30 and only scored three, I think it can be said by anyone that looks at the game objectively that they prepared very well. Uh, it was, you know, some by chance we did we did have a an interception on their backup a little bit later, and then we we also forced a turnover that was most likely going to result in at least another field goal. Uh, that fumble recovery in the in the second half, but they they prepared very very well, and I think when it comes to to Schley, their quarterback, really his threat wasn't in the air; he was able to pass good enough but he just his scramble ability uh was it looked too good for what it should have been against against this defense um i, I try to pull up his his uh stats real quick but um he had 55 yeah. yards um, Yeah, was yeah. Really seemed, seemed i don't, like I don't know how many that. stats yeah.
1: that we got though but see that's what i'll pull it up i'll get the stack yeah for you.
2: well what i was gonna say was uh it, looking at our defense i would summarize it in the statement that I think we looked really, really, really good, like really good 60% of the time. But then the other 40%, none of it was too bad, but it was just like infuriating things. Like there was a string, I think it was through the second quarter, uh, people who who watched the game sort of more intently or maybe noticed this might be able to correct me on this, but I, I'm sure you guys will. There was a string of like during the second quarter where – it was like 10, 10 offensive plays by Kent State in a row on a couple different drives where we were just absolutely bamboozled by their deceptions. Like guys, just we our play call absolutely blew up their play call and then we'd have multiple linebackers and D linemen in their backfield as the play is unfolding and all of our dudes would just go after the wrong guy. And we would constantly, whether it was the quarterback keeping it or the running back keeping it, It was just over and over and over. You go rewatch the game. It's like, what in the world is happening? Because Mm -hmm. every we were just had perfect play calls, perfect execution, and then just fooled by the deception. And that there was a big string that it happened a lot throughout. I would say it probably happened 10 times in the game as a whole, but there was a string uh, where it really happened just back to back to back. And I was sitting there going, what, how do we keep getting fooled by this, Bobby? I didn't, I don't know if you guys were yelling that, but the people sort of. Uh, to the left of you guys, we're saying the same thing. We're like <laughs> how, how every single time. Obviously, it's a lot more difficult when you're down there on the field. But it was like it wasn't all the same guy either. It was just all sorts of different OU defensive players. Uh, we their deception. I don't know. Maybe they're just really, really good at. At deception, maybe credit. It's to like them, that off, op- but uh, it's like that option kind of well, situation. I, yeah, but there were people would act
1: like they're taking the snap before. I was getting really fed, yeah. Up that that. that wasn't, I don't think fast. that was
2: fooling us, yeah. I don't think fast. that was fooling us because every time that they were just doing just that, our off. defense just didn't seem very concerned. But it was just all these like the play action and and these RPOs and stuff. Does our defense would go back? And I, you know, what maybe credit to, to their quarterback, Schley, for reading it. Because maybe uh, thinking about it now, maybe our guys were just blown up the play and we're just locked onto one dude and like I'm going to get him, I'm going to get him, I'm going to get him, and then their quarterback was just able to read it uh, pretty well. Yeah. I don't know, but that was that certainly stuck out to me.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I gotta say, also, like it, t- to your point, you said uh, about Kent State's preparation, and you know they looked like a focused, really prep team. Well, they stayed in Tulsa the entire week, so essentially they had an entire week to just focus on this football game. So it was clear they came motivated, they came focused, they came prepared, because, you know, they, you know, weren't at school, no distractions, you know, they were, they were stuck at, you know, practicing at, uh, you know, I think Tulsa Union the whole week. So, you know, um, as anyone can really attest to, when you, when you're on the road like that, you don't have the same distractions you would at home, you know, your friends aren't there, you know, you just I mean, other than your friends on the team, but everyone's kind of focused towards that one common goal.
1: I think that's something that really benefited them this week. Are you saying that they weren't focused on their online courses that they obviously were taking, Bobby? <clears throat> oh, yeah. No, I, no, that well, that I, doesn't make any sense.
0: Man, you know, they definitely were all keyed in on those mm-hmm. uh, on Canva and on all of their online. Uh, Canva. C- Canva. Canvas? Canvas. Canvas. This man's Canvas, been out
1: game. D2L and Canvas
0: canvas uh, no, canva is uh is the graphic software that I, I i use for a lot of stuff and it's currently up right
1: now so i was staring at it it's canvas yeah, yeah. i've been out of the so, i've been out the game too long so let's let's do our defensive um deep dive and then give out a uh, a game ball yeah I, let's honestly, start talking about
0: good things because we did yeah, pretty good yeah.
1: yeah i i really think just by the eye test now i don't know if this is going to be my game ball but by the eye test danny studsman looks so dominant there are so many plays where he just like he just I was like wow look at Danny Setsman go he was all over the field 12 tackles four for tackles for losses he seemed like an extreme difference maker out there I for one thought oh you know Danny Setsman's on his way to becoming you know a high-end producer on a defense now I'm getting to the point where am I about to make an argument that Danny Setsman's our best defender I mean honestly I feel like there's a really good argument to be made there he is at least our best. He feels like our best linebacker we've had since what?
0: K- Kenneth Murray, Curtis Lofton, or it Curtis Lofton? Sorry, oh. Curtis Bolton. Um
1: <laughs> that, That's that's. I that's think a good Ken, argument Kenneth Murray. Had.
2: Kenneth Murray is a fair, uh, obviously different yeah. style, but in, in terms sorry. of impact,
1: I'm a Chargers like... fan, so I just have a lot to say <laughs> about Kenneth
0: Murray. <laughs> hey, yeah, you you got just got to go into OU mode here. For remember the good times, Jameson. Remember the good times. Sorry, Ty, we were saying something. Yeah,
2: no, uh, oh, my light went out.
0: Um, yeah, I would
2: say his his impact obviously plays a little bit of uh, – it a, has a different impact, but in terms of the the gravity of his impact, I would say pretty probably pretty similar. Uh, I would make the argument that the best defender on our defense is Billy Bowman. Uh, I think that there was – if you go back and, and separate, not out individual players, but if you go out and separate – uh, position groups I think you can maybe make an argument that the secondary had the best game uh, defensively out of everyone else because there was I, I pulled up the stats just to double check this because I sort of had an intuitive uh, idea Kent State had four people that had long rushes of over 10 yards uh, which is a lot and those were uh, I think all but one stopped by the secondary coming in and having to play run defense and then uh the Kent State obviously was able to to pass around a, a little bit, but our our uh, secondary was sort of hampered by the the play calling at the time. You know that that's, the the setups where you're going into a zone or, or something else, and you're you're in a sort of a protection. But I, I think the secondary out of all the groups had one of the better games, and then Billy Bowman had really heads up play and forcing that fumble out where he uh, played it super super smartly, like like NFL level where you go in and your primary focus is get to the guy and stop his forward progress. And he went in, made the hit, wrapped him up. And the guy was still moving forward a little bit, but another, I forget his name now, but another defender came in and, and made contact as well. And, and Bowman just continuing through that, you know, the continuum of, of actions and and went for the strip and got it there. Uh, it was super, super heads up play and done correctly, not done where you just, blow off everything else and go for the pick or go for the strip and then get exposed on the tackle. So super heads up play from an OU secondary. And I I just want to champion the secondary's performance and and Bowman in particular, because he was, I think one tackle behind uh, Stutzman on the overall stats. Although Stutzman had nine solo tackles that uh, cannot be matched.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's one thing that the secondary did a really good job with. And, you know, while I didn't have as many solo tackles as, as Stutzman, you know, 11 total tackles for, for Broyles, 11 total tackles for Bowman as well. They were swarming. This defense, you know, did a good job of really attacking the ball, really, you know, making, I, I love a defense that kind of moves together like a school of fish, just kind of swarms in, you know doesn't just kind of sit back and let one guy take him down I, I feel like they did a really good job of that uh this game and uh it was really really exemplary with uh justin Broyles, but primarily billy bowman i thought he had a hell of a game and you know it, it this game ball is tricky because for for me personally because i was thinking bowman before but now i'm thinking about stutzman and i i really think both of them you know, yeah, this is as as much of a split as it gets, and the D line was pretty damn good, too. I th- they got a lot of tackles for loss as well. Uh, I believe three total sacks, which is a little bit lower than uh last week, but, but overall, they were pressuring really good performance.
1: Yeah, they the were pressuring, they were they were changing things very quickly. I like, I think Reggie Grimes had another good game just by the eye test. Um, Ethan Downs got in in a half snack, um, sa- half snack. I like that, a half sack. Um, but Isaiah Cole, like whenever he makes a play, man, he just looks so dominant. That man is so big. And whenever he went out there on that first drive and let that, um, he got the uh, QB to r- roll out, and I think Reggie Grimes finished it up on the sack. That was that's scary. A guy his size, he can make that kind of push. If we have Ethan Downs and Reggie Grimes performing at a high level on the outside, that's big time. But like you said, Bobby. I think, I mean, going in, unless y'all have anything else to say about this game in terms of defense, I think, I feel like we kind of talked about it. I mean, I, I have to pick between, you know, my head and like my eyes here, I guess they're kind of very interconnected. Here I go again, (laughs) but like my head is telling me it's Billy Bowman because he he made the turnover, which was a pivotal, pivotal thing in every single game. The only turnover um, that we had, but I just got to go with my eyes because Danny Stutzman just looks so much like a difference maker. He passed every single eye test, and I'm just ready to say, even though Ty thinks Billy Bowman's our best defender, I think Danny Stutzman's our biggest def- difference maker and best defender right now. Yeah, we had well,
2: a we had a garbage time interception.
1: Yeah, okay, uh, I, I wasn't counting that one because it's the backup quarterback. <laughs> might be it. Fair enough. It. Fair enough. Ty, what do you think? Who, who's your uh, game ball?
2: Yeah. So I. I have the the inverse of jameson's rationale I think if I go with my eyes it's Danny Stutzman because he was the flashy one he was out there getting the big flashy stuff and his if you look at just the numbers uh, empirically you have to say that he did the best but I think if I if I think about it with my head and consider in, you know the the positions and and the natural sort of distribution of, of tackles and, and sacks and things based on your position group and and uh, really think about the the game performance i have to go with with bowman so i'm going to give mine to uh to bowman
0: yeah and this is tricky because it's 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 really you know they both deserve it and i i can't give a game ball to both of them uh so i'm going to give mine to delair and turner yell uh th- no but really though that that joke probably needs to die i i'm going to give it to Sutsman just because of that visceral impact he had on that defense there is nothing nothing better than having a linebacker who could just feels like he's all over the field who feels like he's inevitable who feels like he's just completely it is so hard to will a game or bend a game to your will on defense and Stutzman being one of those uh, players who could do that it would be massive for this defense uh, not just this year but going forward uh, incredibly exciting performance I know it's just Kent State but. I, 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 he was the guy that, you know, got me out of my seat more than, more than anyone. Uh, Bowman missed it by this much, but yeah, give me Darius something from there.
1: Yeah. It's nothing against Bowman. Um, obviously played a very good game, it's just between the yeah. two. But let's, let's talk about offense, guys. Um, obviously, we kind of already hit on kind of the slowness and what we think needs to happen moving forward. I would love to see just more rotations in terms of offensive line from Bill Beanbow, which is a guy that likes to do that thing. Um, but, the positives of it, um, which I feel like really need to be had. Marvin Mims, we talk about like, oh, is he just an auxiliary guy that's going to get like two or three catches one game, then the next game go off and only catch deep balls and be a stat pattern? This dude played 25 snaps, 25 snaps out of 66 on Saturday, and he put up the stat line that he did. That is not Seven catches, 163 yards, two touchdowns on 25 snaps. I mean, is there even going to be a conversation for um, game ball moving forward this game?
0: Yes. Oh, really? Ty, what do you think?
1: No, but I I, I do want to say, yeah, I was going to say uh,
2: Marvin Mims had a absolute game. Uh, just ridiculous. Like, he's 163 yards, averaging 23.3 yards with two touchdowns and a long of almost 60 yards. And he was out there putting up big plays, uh, I think his impact is is exclamation-pointed by, that was terrible, I should have used, used like accentuated or something, but a big exclamation point on his stat line is the fact that he was out there performing uh, at the level that he was performing the entire time. When we talk about this OU team being kind of flat, being kind of eh, the very first drive he went out there, and uh, I think it was the first drive, went out there and popped off, a, it was at least over 15 yards probably, uh, over 20 yards just a massive reception and, and moved us down the field and had a ton of momentum he was out there performing the entire time he was he was out there and, and you got to give him credit for that uh for sure
1: I have some more to say on on the offense but uh our, our first Mims, drive yeah. was run run sack I believe but the second drive I uh, so it would have been the second when Marvin yeah. Marvin Mims got got a like a 20 30 something yard catch over the middle
0: yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds about right. And here's the thing about Mims is uh, he's been a guy who we've all talked about it a lot, who we think is like wide receiver one. This guy could be like the Litnikoff level, really lighted it up. Um, and in previous years, uh, last year in particular, we hadn't really seen that outside of, you know, a couple glimpses, the Texas game, for example, I feel like he's very clearly that guy. Uh, he's putting up the numbers or the pa- past two games. He's put up those numbers. And this was just the way the way the Levy offense has utilized him. It, it has done nothing but give you encouragement and feeling that this guy is going to light folks up and that that hype that we've given him almost annually since is really just going to, um, you know, shine through on a weekly basis. So yeah, if we're talking about game ball, yeah, I don't even know if we need to talk too much about it, but we definitely need to talk more about the offense for sure. Um, So uh, we kind of talked about Gabriel a little bit, a little shaky, um, but obviously came through quite a bit in the second. I don't think we need to talk too much about it, but we definitely need to mention it. Jameson, uh, Gabriel getting back on track, figuring it out. Were you, how, how would you, how would you grade his performance? How did you feel about it? Did you leave the Kent state game feeling better or worse about Dylan Gabriel as the quarterback of the Oklahoma Sooners?
1: It was about the exact same thing for me. I think it was about a B. Uh, I've talked about this on our terms of grading. This is kind of how I look in terms of letter grades. Oh, uh, you expects a, every single time we are an a 4.0 student expectant. We not, might not, mean, I not have a 4.0 but we feel like we should be getting A's in every single class and every single player should be getting an A. And especially at the quarterback, that's our bread and butter class. So uh, I know times have changed, but there's some things that I'm worried about. I told you, like, it seems like his decision-making is slow um, and the offensive line isn't helping him too much. He's there are a couple of plays where he should have thrown the ball away and he got hit with a sack. And, uh, I think he got sacked four times, honestly. And when we're playing Kent State's defense, what well, we, Blake said on our weekend spread, what Michael Penix did to them, it's this should not be Dylan Gabriel only getting three touchdowns and getting sacked four times. I think that this is the type of game where Dylan Gabriel should be getting five touchdowns and being subbed down in the third quarter, which obviously wasn't the case. Um, we got kind of in a hole, and it seems like, you know, our, our offensive line and run game wasn't bailing him out. It might be a put him in. Kind of a bad position, but for what I saw, I thought that Kent State was daring us to throw. And if we would have threw the ball, thrown the ball a lot more and stopped trying to play our game and scheme, um, we should have given what the um, defense was taking. I mean, giving it, I completely botched that. Take what the defense is giving us, and Dylan Gabriel. It just seems like he was doubting himself out there.
0: Hey everybody, it's Bobby Howard, and before we start the show, I just kind of want to talk to y'all for a second. Lately, I've been listening to a lot of college football preview podcasts, and, you know, it's, it's really been great. It's gotten me hyped for the season, and one reason it's been great to listen to is because I use my Raycon wireless earbuds to do it. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. With optimized gel tips for the perfect in-air fit, these earbuds are so comfortable and they will not budge. Trust me. Raycons give you eight hours of playtime and a 32-hour battery life. Raycons are priced just right. You get quality audio at half the price of other premium audio brands. It's no wonder Raycons' everyday earbuds have over 50,000 five-star reviews. You know, I really like the versatility of Raycons. If you're really wanting to lock in, really just immerse yourself in what you're doing... That is where the noise isolation feature comes in. Just block everything out. It's great. But you know what? Sometimes you can't just, you know, shell yourself off. So that's where you go to awareness mode where you can have some audio come in. You can do errands. You can act like a normal human being and uh, still listen to what you want. So I feel like that's actually pretty great. The Raycons really are great, though. Whenever I'm not editing the podcast, just kick back, listen to some red dirt. Feels like you're right in the middle of Kane's ballroom. It's great. I love it. So, look, if you want to be like me, jump on the Raycon train. Go to buyraycon.com slash tppn today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash tppn to score 15% off. One more time, that is buyraycon.com slash tppn. Use promo code tppn15. That's tppn15. The NFL's opening week was action-packed, and it's just getting started. Get ready for week two of touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL game and get $200 in free bets instantly. Want more action? Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. It's simple. This Sunday, bet on any team in the NFL to win and if your team leads by 10 at any point in the game you get paid instantly even if that team ends up losing so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now use promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on any football game that's promo code TPPN only a DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply see the show notes for details now back to the schooner pod
1: yeah, I, I mean mute, I mute. I think that I, I also I I think I think Bobby continues to hit mutiny. Let's see if he's got an excuse for this time. Uh Bobby, what do you got?
0: Uh I was actually looking at something else uh to pull
1: up for the next podcast. So Oh oh, no. oh never hey, as Brent Venables would never never that excuse. How dare you? Oh my god, Schmitty would destroy you. You were looking forward hey, to man. next podcast rather than the current podcast we have at Rat AM? Poison. Oh my God, we're gonna lose to I Nebraska know. this week with that kind of mindset. Looking forward Playoffs. to Bobby's State. I know, I know. Out uh, here, out here, out here, trying to add a video clip for the next podcast. I,
0: I screwed up, guys. I'm sorry. The standard is the standard. The be- I, to, I I did not defend the standard there. Um, but anyways, no, I, I I'm with you. I feel like I feel like Gabriel's still growing into that role as being the guy at OU. Um. I think that's kind of the case across the board with some places, you know, that this, this team is still in its infancy in a way, you know, it's, it still hasn't grown into being an Oklahoma team yet. A lot of these guys still haven't really, I mean, this was their second game for a lot of these players, um, you know, to wear an OU uniform. So I think Gabriel definitely has obviously a massive target on his back. This is a, a, program that has just legendary history with you know with the quarterback position especially recently and you know i imagine there's some pressure there some, pr- some pressure to go out and perform and it's hard to rush chemistry but um i don't know i i, I feel like he got better by having this adversity by bouncing back and doing a l- l- little bit we'll see how he handles uh you know a probably raucous uh, nebraska crowd next week um but no, I think he, I think he still looked good. I think he got back on the saddle and, uh, you know, figured some stuff out. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I, yeah,
1: I, I, I need to hear now. I, I just can't wait any longer. Give me your take on Eric Gray versus Marcus major. Who is the best running back in our running back stable?
2: Okay. So I need, I need to work into it real quick. I have a very quick, very respectful. I want to say note on Dylan Gabriel. He okay, is okay. a, this, you don't hear this a lot. You don't hear this term a lot in college. You hear it a lot in, uh, in the pros. You don't hear it a lot in college, but I think Dylan Gabriel is a system quarterback. He's very good. He is very good. He's we we have an Oklahoma quarterback expectation and standard, even going back our entire lifetimes, just the ridiculous percentage of OU quarterbacks that have won the Heisman in, in our lifetimes uh, is, is crazy. So we have a certain expectation, but I think he's a system quarterback and he's not used to the system that he's in yet. And we're seeing that. I think, he will continue to improve as the season goes on, but don't expect a, a Heisman ceremony or Heisman winning quarterback out of him. I, I think, un- unfortunately, he's not that guy. He, he cannot rush whatsoever, whatsoever. So that's that's certainly a note. Uh, when it comes to the running game, I think I've been known to make this take when it comes to the receivers about how sometimes it's very, very good to be WR2 on a college team, and that has to do with defensive uh, matchups and and the the depth of skill on a lot of secondary rosters at the college level, but I think that Marvin Mims is a receiver <laughs> is a receiver. I don't know why I said his name. Uh, I was like, I was Brady. thinking I was like he's about don't to make care. a
1: really good point. I'm going to clip this for our podcast. <laughs> no, <laughs> Marvin I've Mims humbled is it. a receiver. Humbled it. Is, <laughs> I that is a very so good point. That's
2: an ir- You I don't know you what it cannot is. refute the point that Marvin Mims is in fact a receiver uh Fair and balanced, just objective journalism. This man spitting. Um, yeah, but Marcus Marcus Major is, I think, pretty firmly are are uh, running back too I think really, if you really want to dig into it, there's maybe an argument that Marvin Mem Marvin mims is a receiver.
0: Goodness <laughs> gracious! What? Yes, he is.
2: <laughs> Eric, Eric Gray
0: is the yeah, name. You know you what? You know what? Let's it. just
2: expose. Let's just expose College Game Day too you heard it from the schooner pod first an sec team will win the sec championship this year in spite of what college game day analysts will tell you uh but no so i think uh, marcus major people are saying oh is he running back number one i think he's competing for running back number two right now javante barnes got a lot of play time more carries than uh than major did i think major majorly benefited from the play calls that he got and the the matchups, which are sort of out of your control from Kent State. I think Kent State prepared very well for us. I think they watched a lot of tape on on us. I think they watched a lot of tape on uh, Jeff Levy offenses. And I think when they saw Major come in, knowing that he wasn't our primary running back and knowing that they had our run game pretty much shut down, uh, he maybe had a little bit more advantageous defensive setups or defensive game plans uh, when he got the snap. Uh, how much that factored into it? I don't know. He had a, he had an absolute ball game, but I think he had easier circumstances. I, I think if you reversed his role with Eric gray, you would see a pretty similar, if not better performance from gray. If gray is the guy that the defense is sort of sleeping on to use the the terms that kids use, or he's the guy that the defense is reading. Okay, this is their second guy. He's probably going to block. Let's focus on the receivers. It looks like they're lined up for a pass or something here. Uh, but he he had a, a tremendous game. I think he's on track. He's he's definitely already having the best season that he's ever had at OU and with a touchdown. Uh, so we got to give him credit. But I, I don't think that the, oh, is he running back number one uh, arguments online holds any merit. And I don't think there's anywhere close to any sort of serious talk or or thoughts like that within the locker room and within the within the coaching staff. I know that's mm-hmm. probably not what you wanted to hear, Jamison. You probably wanted to no. hear something a little more no, Homer uh, Homer take. I think, but I think I think Gray is the firm number one uh, in and I think Gray had uh, the defense swarming him whenever they saw him out there. But, you know, it's it's very difficult to be the uh, the pack mule that the load is thrown on uh, versus the guy that gets to go out there and and you know, do the the trickier stuff or the the fancier stuff, or maybe face a, we'll say keeping with the pack mule analogy, maybe he's getting a lighter load. You know, that uh, Eric Gray has, has carried the water jugs when they were full, and now that people have drank from the jugs and they're half full, they're, they're getting passed off. So yeah,
1: but I, also I think again, you made a perfect yeah. point though, Ty. I really do. Um, sorry to cut you off there. I mean, I think that um, RB two is always going to look better in terms of if you're trying to compare them one to two uh just based on the eye test, if assuming RB1 and RB2 are the exact same skill level, exact same players, RB2 should be doing better if they get the same amount of volume. You're right. Um, and I do also agree that I don't think that they're gonna bat an eye about Eric Gray being RB1. I think Levy said it in his uh, press conference today, uh, whenever there was a question aimed at uh, you know Marcus Major and his productivity you can tell, it was just the classic reporter like kind of hint hinting rather than straight up asking a question about is Marcus Major kind of you know playing better than Eric Gray? And Jeff Levy went right around that question, almost kind of dodged it and just started talking about Eric Gray and how he improved a lot from the first half to the second half. Uh, I think the coaching staff has a lot of confidence in him, but thinking about it, if they, the interior of the offensive line, if they're going to play like they have been and they're giving up, you know, our run blocking and our, our zones are not opening up to where our running backs can go up the free gap, Marcus Major's bet is more elusive in breaking tackles than a guy like Eric Gray. Eric Gray's way better in space. There's no doubt about that. But if we continue to have poor blocking, I think Marcus Major's going to be more productive. I would. Yeah.
0: It, it's a matter. Yeah. I, I think that's really kind of the thing is production versus rb1 versus rb2 because they both do different things if the o-line is kind of crappy that that week then yeah you probably want to run major more um i think they both have a part to play in this and i think kind of thinking of it as uh who starts who's benched is kind of not the right way to think and i know that's kind of not what you're saying but i i think both of these players are incredibly incredibly important um but i mean Jameson's right. I think it, it it does kind of boil down to, you know, the performance of that line. Can they figure that out? Because naturally, a guy who can push through it is going to do better. That's that's I think what it boils down to the most. Ty, I'm sorry for cutting you off.
2: Yeah, no, I was just going to say, uh, quick note that that has to be mentioned. I think is a, a very telling stat. I think sometimes stats can be misleading, but I think this one is is very telling. Gray had ten carries, Major had five, so twice as many carries. And uh, Gray was averaging seven point one yards to uh, Major seven point six. So yeah, while there is they, a, you know, that is a little bit a different. Run. But it, well, no, but yeah, but I'm, um, yeah, but it's, you know, he averaged three Gray yards had, per
1: carry, not counting the forty four yard. Um, yeah, run, but and picking out Marcus Major's biggest, but he play, did he have, but he did have five, a big explosive. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, where he made I'm someone
2: just, miss. You know, to his. Yeah, I'm just saying credit. he had it
1: nine was, carries yeah. of a lot of poop before that, but obviously you cannot discount yeah. the stats. Before that, I know we do that all the time, but I, I just had to make that yeah. point. Keep going.
2: No, I agree, I just, but I, I was just going to say when you look at when you look at the numbers, there is a, a numerical proof, so to speak, that uh, the it's much harder. I it, well, we saw this with a lot of his his lower yards. Is it's much harder to maintain a high average the more carries you get because there are inevitably going to be those uh, you know stop at the line or, or make contact behind the line stuff. So when you're getting twice as many carries it's much harder to maintain that seven plus yards per carry status even sure. though it's you know it is it is swayed uh or, or biased a little bit by a a big one but yeah
0: yeah yeah so i think that's all we have to really kind of break down when it terms to when it comes to mm-hmm. you know the running backs as well as the O line i think we covered both of those very well so, does theo uh,
1: weiss deserve a game ball again ty
0: no, but I did have a quick note,
2: and it is quick, on the receivers. I think the receivers, as a group, are better than Dylan Gabriel. I, I don't know that a lot of people would would argue with that. I think when you look at uh, – a lot of the times when you look at your, oh, the receivers and the quarterback aren't aren't meshing up uh, arguments, a lot of the time it's we need to find receivers that mesh with the quarterback or the receivers need to do a better job of of getting to know the quarterback and what the quarterback needs to see to read you – uh, for the play and a lot of stuff like that. I think the receivers are playing at a very high level, and I think we have a depth, a, a serious depth of receivers that can play at a highlight. Mims is going off on another level, uh, but Drake Stoops is in his is excellent Drake Stoops form. I mean, three catches, one for just an absolutely electric touchdown Uh, that was the very first touchdown that we really got to see the lights in action, which I'm sure we'll mention here in a second. Uh, But Drake Stoops, you know, averaging 11 yards of reception on three receptions, just being a a guy that's reliable and, and a whole lot of other guys going out there from all sorts of different position groups, which speaks to our play calling. But yeah, the, the receivers, I think there is a fair argument for who is uh, WR2. I think this game looking at it in action and, and looking at the stats, I would argue that it's Drake Stoops. If you just looked at the stats, you could make a, a Theo Weeze argument as well. I think Theo Weiss got more snaps uh, significantly than Drake Stoops. I don't know what that number is, but Stoops was not out there a lot. He, But he performed when he was out there compared to uh, to Wee. I think Weeze was out there much more than Stoops. So I guess from a coaching angle, weeze' is WR2.
0: Yeah, and I'll say this. That Drake Stoops touchdown was probably his best. Very cool. Oh, yeah. very good no touchdown Maybe not central situ- like maybe not situationally, but in terms of like skill and you know just kind of the will to get in there. Oh my gosh, incredible work from Drake Stoops. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, that wide receiving core as a whole, very, very good, very exciting stuff. So um Game Balls? Marvin Mims, Marvin anyone else? Mims. Yeah, Marvin Drake Stoops. No, Stoops. I gotta go stoops.
2: I because I'm a big Stoops guy, you know, and and like you said, that – that uh i was filming i got that play on film on my story which was i thought was super cool that sounds really really lame I mean, to say now but uh, <laughs> we didn't status. we didn't know how cool we, but we didn't know how cool the the lights were going to be because they were kind of underwhelming up to that point uh so that was super super cool but i super heads up i mean that that was i think one of his best plays Ever in an OU uniform, so Stutsman yeah. I so we got some. Defense, yeah, we got uh, some viewer comments. If you just joined in, yeah, we we already did our defensive game balls. We I think two out of three went with with Stutzman for the defense. Yeah, game.
1: we were. Let's talk we about the lies. Let's talk about the lies before we end this because obviously that's one of the coolest um, parts to talk about with this. Um, let's write a pros and cons list. Uh Every single thing that is that major, people are going to whine about. Uh, but the pros, obviously, they looked so cool. It it just seemed like we have a different energy. I've been kind of wanting OU to have a little bit something different. Obviously, we have the Sooner Schooner uh, that comes out uh, after touchdowns, and that's kind of like our big thing. But like having kind of like an angle in terms of like visual production of our games, I kind of wanted something a little bit different, and this seems really, really cool. And... The problem with it, though, is I feel like there's going to be people on TV that are going to start getting really angry, especially with this K-State being another night game, because whenever the lights immediately go off, the TV cameras have no idea who to shoot because, like, the guy gets the touchdown and then everything goes dark on the TV camera. You cannot see anything on TV.
0: Yeah, you have to imagine they're just furious at that because, no you know, it's not exactly it, it. I mean, I'm sure it looks kind of cool on TV, but it doesn't have remotely the same effect. Uh, Where I I imagine it's just a little annoying if you're watching on TV, but in person, it was awesome. Uh, Some of the breaks, really cool. I think it really kept people engaged. I think it was a, you know, football games are great, football games are big, but, you know, stuff like that, improving that experience that makes it like I want to be there at that stadium to feel that energy, to feel what it's like whenever the lights are going and it's like a, it's a, mini rave for timeouts it's pretty exciting i I don't know i i soup i very much liked it i thought it was uh, a jolt we needed i feel like the music has stepped up as well um you know i i know they got a new dj going i think it's uh, garrett Ebersolf, good dude um so you know music stepped up from a from a perspective uh i will say get a better version of oklahoma breakdown uh they played it in between third and fourth it was better than red solo cup but i gotta say Toby Keith has a trash version of that song. Not great. Don't mm-hmm. don't think it worked. That's my that's my piece and, on the lights and that and uh, the breakdown.
1: And the one singular tweet from the Schooner pod account, as is tradition, was only about I wanted crazy train where was crazy train. I needed more of it. I was very disappointed. finally killed it. It is a nostalgia thing. thing i needed it I'm, i am I, a fan of, of no I th- we, songs, did obviously. I think we did it only, we did it pre-game oh, we did pre-game? Pre-game.
2: i'm like 99 oh, yeah. percent sure we did like were, 10 minutes before you got in yeah like 10 minutes okay. before oh. you guys came out well, that I, makes I, me feel I a little bit better i was there about
1: it. 15 minutes before 20 minutes before kickoff. i i think
2: it was i think we played it around like 25 we we played it pretty early but i'm pretty certain we played it so yeah that makes
1: me feel a little bit better good for them i I was gonna i was gonna be very mad about losing crazy train
0: yeah i think we're the only pro crazy train podcast on the internet when it comes to ou really at least
1: because everyone's like get rid of it
0: it's garbage i love it i every time i hear that little all aboard i'm like i'm in i'm bumped. let's (laughs) do this it's just it throws me back to when i was a little baby boy hanging out you know Yeah, it throws me back. I love the nostalgia. I don't care if it doesn't get the kids hype. I like it.
1: Ty wants I more like Mo it. Bamba. So
2: I, I did, <laughs> did. Do we even play it? I don't think we did. Um, Ty's pro bomb. But I did. I did have a, a, a note on the lights. Is one? I think it, someone mentioned this in the the comments as well. Uh, it was not. It's not at the same level that Georgia and Alabama are. Uh, but. You can't compare it to that. They have different stadium layouts that are more conducive to that, that sort of red-out thing. Obviously, part of it is we just don't have the physical red LEDs in the the big lights like Georgia does and like Bama do, but they also have a, a more complete upper-deck stadium and a more complete, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a ribbon uh, screen or light that comes around. We only have, you know, ones that are on the – the lateral sides, I'm just completely... But they have stadium designs that are much more conducive to that. But I, I realistically, you can only compare it to what we had before. And it's a, a logarithmic improvement over what we had before. It, it's super, super cool. I think people on TV probably get used to it. I did watch some of the highlights back on TV, and it did look kind of weird uh, on TV and, and on YouTube, uh, watching the highlights back. But I think you get used to it and, and know what to expect. But it was... It was super, super cool. It was very underwhelming right when we first did it, when we first it was just like light started it to do it. Well, it was too light outside, but then also they were sort of dimming them just barely. And then it was like a second of it. And then it was done when it, I think they almost revealed them perfectly because they had that sort of uh, reveal where it was like ooh, sort of dim. And I know, Bobby, you and I were looking at each other going, how many millions of dollars? Like, was this really that cool? Uh, they were certainly lighting up the play field much, much better. Uh, it looked super, super cool. Inside the stadium was super cool because it was like dark on the upper decks and uh, it almost looked like a, a Thunder game or like an NBA game. Like a lot of the higher seats were were pretty dark and the field was just perfectly lit. You have those crisp, uh, which I love, such a weird thing, but those, those X, those four-way shadows on the players, uh, which I think look neat. Uh, but it was you can only compare it to what we had before and it was a super cool approach but then the way they revealed it you know we were everyone was super underwhelmed and then drake stoops had that touchdown that about halfway through the play everyone was like oh yeah he's down this is not going to be a touchdown and then he extended it with just a ridiculous performance by drake stoops why he got my game ball and then when they went full out with the lights and then full on and it was doing its it's complete dark and complete off with the fireworks with the sparklers and everything that was, yeah, it was tremendous. Next the stadium went it off. Was awesome. It was next level. Yeah. And then a little bit after when we went to a TV timeout and everyone did the phone light thing, that was just the, the coolest thing. It was, it was perfectly worked out. So I'm sure we will continue to develop the sort of the programming for the flashes and, and there might be some, some arguments for TV, but I would assume that TV broadcasters, especially ESPN already have this worked out because Georgia and Alabama have been doing it for several years now, I think since 2019, uh, maybe 18, but they've been doing it for a while and ESPN has been doing their games. So certainly uh, the broadcasters know what to do
0: Yeah, for sure. They'll, they'll figure it out. Time change. People figure it out. So yeah, I like them. Uh, and I'm very excited to have the uh, lights back for K State. Kind of, uh, kind of wild. I thought that was going to be big noon all the way, but I guess they gave it to Michigan and Maryland. So, fine by mm-hmm. me. Um, but yeah, that's going to be a massive game. First top 25, um, potentially. If they, if OU doesn't blow, OU probably won't drop out of the top 25 if they lose to Nebraska, knock on wood. Um, and K State probably will jump in there if they beat Tulane. Some things hold. Could be a pretty big game uh, to kick off the Big 12 uh, conference schedule. I'm sure campus will be hype. I know I'll be excited. So, um, yeah, yeah, we are being blessed with
1: our 11 a.m. kickoffs because looking at the next week with TCU at TCU, uh, I think Big Noon probably would go to OSU Baylor. <laughs> you would just think that. Um, we might get a nice little run here of avoiding some 11 a.m.s before Texas. Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. So, uh, well, and little, I
0: don't, yeah, a little later game for TCU would be cool. Sorry, Ty, you go ahead. I wouldn't, no, I was gonna
2: say I wouldn't mind. I, I know you guys or, or Bobby, you at least will probably go to TCU or, or try, but if I'm watching on TV, it doesn't necessarily affect me as much. I, you know, I would still prefer a later one, but I, I would. I'm happy all day. If we go evening kicks for all the at-home games or most of the at-home games. And then if the away games happen to be 11s, then I'm fine with that too. So
1: they wouldn't yeah. have spent yeah. this much money if they wouldn't known that they are going to get a little in with the TV networks to push them away from 11 a.m.s.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: The only big noon game I want uh, is um,
0: OU Baylor for reasons that Jameson and I definitely understand. Yes. So yes, of course. Hoping on that one. Oh. Hoping on that one. But anyways guys i think that's all we have for kent state but and hey i if you're listening to this podcast we're like hey you didn't talk about ou nebraska at all what the hell like that's a little weird we got an ou nebraska mini episode coming out soon so keep your eyes peeled out for that on your podcast feeds as well as our youtube feed we'll make sure to let you know that'll drop sometime down the wire but um that's all we got for Kent State. So, um, Jameson Ty, I think we're pretty good to close this close up shop. What do y'all think? Yeah,
1: yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm excited to talk Nebraska.
0: Absolutely, same here. Same here. All right, for uh, for me, Jameson and Ty, this has been the Schooner Pod. Thank you so much for listening or watching, and uh, thank you to our sponsors, DraftKings and Raycon, as well as our partners at TPPN. We will see you soon as we break down the OU Nebraska game. Can't wait. All right. Have a great week, everyone. Boomer Sooner out there. That doesn't make sense. Boomer Sooner.